Hi guys, this is part two of our conversation with Chef Akudo, where he talks about his professional cooking experience and the opening of his cookery school, Kedu. Enjoy. So Kedu is from the Igbo tribe in Nigeria, and Kedu means um, like hello or how are you or how are you doing. And the reason why we chose to call the business Kedu was simply just because we felt like uh, when I was coming up with a business idea, and I remembered chef saying to me, like, man, it's it's really hard if you're not willing to sort of put your life down and sacrifice your life like this. Nobody, none of these restaurants or chefs would even tell you hello or hi. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. And um, obviously, I wasn't trying to say anything to Aji because I was afraid I would get dropped from the project. Yeah, and, and then, then because opened, of everything he had also invested, right? And, and because of everything he invested. Um, and then my, the, the restaurant, apart from Bistro Vaduvan, I had gone, I had done so many jobs with like other restaurants. And I wasn't saying anything to anyone as well. I also wasn't saying anything to my, my partner or my family because I didn't want anyone to know. And everyone's like, oh, you need to stop, take a break, take a rest. Because I didn't want to lose the opportunity I had. But then obviously that got worse. Um, and, you know, the industry is very, very fierce, very fierce. Like you have to just, you have to be giving your all and fighting at all times because it's such a fast paced and aggressive yeah pace. like from what i understand it's it's incredibly <laughs> draining yeah <laughs> it's incredibly draining and as much as people you know wish the best for you the truth is um in a situation like i was in you will you will get dropped and replaced easily, easily yeah. not because they don't like you but it's just because the, the project has to move on you know, the restaurant has to move on. We have to keep working. We have to keep serving. The customers want this. Our reputation depends on this. So if 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 you were, you know, lacking because of sickness or stuff like that, you know, they wish the best for you, but we have to move on. And um, a lot of restaurants at the same time were trying to, you know, keep this sort of Michelin status right. or, or try to get a Michelin star. So every restaurant is literally... Uh, some of them, a lot of them actually, are doing too much just because they're trying to secure that reputation. So, you know, the, the chefs are on like immense pressure to just sort of outdo the next restaurant so that they could get this, not necessarily outdo, but just sort of like make something for themselves. Yeah, because so it was, it's, it's, it's a hard business too, right? And so part of maintaining your margins and all that is making sure you're relevant. And I guess the Michelin star aspect of it helps to stay relevant and pe- keep people so coming through the doors, yeah. It's also a way for you to make money because a yeah. lot of things that happen is like a lot of these restaurants chasing a Michelin star are not really making that money that they're expecting to make. Um, some of them are probably even, we're, we're making a loss. So a lot of people know about Michelin stars that are around, but not a lot of people know about restaurants that have opened up, tried to get Michelin star, failed within the first day and shut down. And there are a lot of them. So 
it's a really, really like a like aggressive place. So what happens is like you're doing so much work, and you know you're you're making a loss, so you're not making anything. So what that translates into is a lot of them literally um, uh, would tell chefs like they would try and get chefs working for them without pay. So if oh, you really. Yeah, so like when I wanted to train, um, I remember I was working. And you, 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 it's, it's sort of this thing where because of our fast paced and just the amount of techniques and skills needed in um, fine dining nowadays, you know, a restaurant needs to be sure you're up to the task. Because now it's not just about cooking or being able to make like your knife skills need to be sharp, your how you combine flavors, how you understand things like your A game means you need to bring your A game. So a lot of them don't just want anybody. And if you're if you just happen to be anybody, then they need to be sure you you know you're up to the task. Oh, yeah, that you can catch it. Them, yeah. Then hitting you with the okay, why don't you work for us for a bit? Let's see what you're capable of. And if you're okay, then we'll take you on board on the team. Now a bit is you know, you're obviously working without pay. <laughs> yeah. A bit, a bit will start off as just three weeks to a month, but in reality, will stretch as far as seven months to a year. That's crazy. So I was doing, I worked a few months with no pay. My pay was coming from Aji at the time. Um, and um, a lot of times, I had so much he was working on. So sometimes I wouldn't get any money from him until like a while later. And you know, bless him, he would send he would send enough. But the only you know not, the only bad thing is obviously to survive. I've already I'd already taken out loans to try and keep up with bills. Right. And so all the money he sends just goes into helping my family back home and covering. And then obviously I'm there. I'm thinking, man, this is too much. Like, right, because you know, I was gonna say, like, then how do you, how did you make that transition then to decide to do the cookery school and then abandon like <laughs> the Akoko project? Well, because it sounds what like Akoko was eventually the, the secret was out of the back. Um, my the restaurant I was working in at the time, the head chef started to realize something's wrong with this guy. You know, he's starting to make sloppy mistakes that he doesn't make. And then he noticed like a weakness in my left arm. He was like, you keep, you keep dropping stuff. And mm. I've, I've noticed you, even you yourself don't know it's dropped until you, he, and then I'm like, you know, so eventually he picks up that and he calls, so he calls Aji then because he knew like Aji was supposed to be my boss. Right. All that Coco project. And he tells Aji like, something's wrong with this guy. And then Aji calls me to talk about, and then I really asked to then say, okay, you know what, I, I'm sick. I tried to hide it. I tried to keep it out of the bag and stuff. But And he was like, listen, man, I know what you're going through and I know you want to do, but you got to think about yourself. You don't want to yeah. die. So, da, da, da. so eventually I had to come home. And then the doctor obviously was like, yeah, you know, you've made things worse. I recommend you need to stay out of the kitchen for the next two months. Oh, once obviously being too long, eventually that was you know goodbye to the Akoko project because they had to move, they had to find a chef. Yeah, that just became um, so that was just like that was just gone. Um, so obviously, but while I was in that setting, I'm obviously like, this is too much, 
no money, I'm working for free, I'm working 20 hours, you know, a, a day, I'm doing all of this work, I'm traveling, I'm paying my own fraud, I'm in a city like London, it's too expensive, I've got family all the way back home, I've got rent to pay, bills to pay, and I'm thinking, man, like, this is so unfair, and then I find out this is normal in that industry. <laughs> So I'm thinking I'm I'm this I'm this chef that is going through it all. Everybody pitying me, and I just find out like no, it's 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 a normal that's, thing. That's yeah, that's the like, culture. You know, this guy beside me is like yeah, I'm sleeping on my cousin's couch, and I make little sandwiches on my days off that I sell to this office here, and that's how I you know make some money. I've been working for a year without pay, and I'm like what you know what. And then he's like, yeah, you know, they're not giving me a job yet. I'm training. I'm trying to get it. I'm like, dude, you're like efficient. Like I've another chef, you find out that they're like 16 chefs in a three bedroom apartment. That's how. That's wow. You know, and I realized like, Jesus Christ. And then, well, obviously, you know, that this is it. This is how you can train. Because culinary school in this day and age, because culinary school, what they do is they teach you how to, like, you know, cook this recipe. They teach you about the basics, mm-hmm. the French basics. But that's so outdated now. Now that everyone's trying to get a Michelin star, right. they're trying to do the whole thing. So usually before you could sort of go in there, learn the basics. And the basics apply to almost every restaurant. But now you go into one restaurant... And they're doing something completely different. They're working with, you know, um, gastronomy. Somebody is making, you know, um, courgette bubbles. Somebody's making <laughs> balloons. You walk into the next restaurant and they're working with, like, you know, beef, aging beef for, like, two years. And they're making their own in-house milk and in-house cheese. And it's completely different. Another restaurant is dealing with, like, fermentation. Right. And it's like, boy, okay, I didn't... I didn't I didn't learn all of this in cookery right. school. The cookery school now is somewhat outdated. Like and so that's to, oh I'm sorry, go ahead. So the only way now to actually get that proper training, if you want to work in a really good like restaurant or Michelin star restaurant that you admire, is to just sacrifice. And so I'm like, boy, if 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 this sacrifice that everybody is making mm-hmm. is this, like, so imagine how much stress of no money, long hours, um, sacrificing time, energy, everything. You're literally getting nothing. You're just going more and more. The amount of chefs in debt and the amount of times you're standing and working. The yeah, amount their of impact chefs, on your body too, yeah. You know, sicknesses and leg problems. So all of this is happening. And uh, <clears throat> as this is happening, I find that like a lot of these guys are single. So they're not in relationships or they're in relationships, but they don't have kids. And they literally tell you like, I can't, like I'm not even making that much money. Or even if they're getting paid, they'll tell you like, I can't have a kid in this setting. Like, look at how many times I'm away. I'm away literally six days. Am I going to be seeing my kid for just one day? When do I even have time? So it was just like, oh my God, like you're literally like going into that setting, you have to be willing to surrender your life. To the, to the craft, yeah. And so then, then... It was like, because that was the only way you could get trained. So I didn't realize that, you know what, getting training in a cookery school, even if you can get training in a cookery school, 
it's expensive. And a lot of it wasn't really covered by student finance that was available here. And so when I came back, that was the one thing that was on my mind. I was mm. like, I don't want anybody. Like, I went to go hell. through what you went through, yeah. You know what I mean? And I thought, like, that that helped me. I got the training. I got everything. IG and a lot of the chefs that I, I, I was with, they helped me grow. But at the same time, that period for me was hell. So and I thought, like, I want to start either a restaurant or a school where I can provide affordable training to people who wanted to be chefs, <clears throat> especially, like, um, people in the Afro community like myself who wouldn't really get an opportunity like a Coco except if the owner was like African. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we, we technically either don't get those kind of opportunities or we have to like get them through channels like going on shows like MasterChef. And then with shows like MasterChef, you're, you still have to like frantically like train yourself to be you know to be recognized on a show like that before anybody considers you for anything because one the head chef the current head chef for coco i believe was pulled from master chef they found oh, him I see. yeah oh i remember this guy was a master chef he's of african descent let's get him on board yeah and, it, and in the u.s like top top chef i think would be the, the equivalent also um so, with guys like um kwame onwachi and Eric exactly. and all those guys, yeah. So stuff like that. For somebody like me, who was new to the chef industry, and some of these guys, they've been chefs for years. So they've eventually realized, um, a lot of chefs were telling me, this is all I have. There's no way out for me. I've been a chef. This is all I know. I can't just quit it today and do something else. Whereas I used to get chefs telling me, dude, you were already... You had Instagram following. You did your supper clubs. Yeah. <laughs> before you came in here. So I used to tell people the same stuff like, just go back out there and do what you were doing. Why are you coming in here to suffer? Right. And I used to say stuff like, oh, but I want to train. I want to be better. And they'd be like, yeah, go out there, do your stuff. But then come in here and work free for maybe a day or two. Learn something. But don't give your entire life here. Do that, yeah. So is that sort of... You know, yeah, so that was when, for me, I decided I, I, I have to do something. I have to do something to help. I can't just go back to supper clubs and just act like I didn't just see thousands <laughs> right. going through the same thing I just went through. So you decided to do the cookery school. How... So you make the decision, like, how do you, how do you find a place? How do you finance it? Because like, when you think about a cooking school, I think about the, all the equipment. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to have the space. If you're going to teach people, I mean, you have to have a certain minimum amount of equipment and it's not, it's not cheap, you know? Oh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't cheap, you know, and that, that itself was a massive problem. And um, it was also a big problem because of um if you remember when i said because i wasn't getting paid and i would try and like when my savings ran out i would try to take out like loans and stuff yeah. to support mm -hmm. so one of the loans that i took out it turned out um 
someone got my details. Oh. Yeah, so there was some sort of like fraudulent activity that went on. But because they changed the address, so the bank, you know, the bank was sending um, like correspondence to the wrong address. So when the person had like obviously taken the money, bled the account dry, the bank kept sending, you know, payments requests Jeez. to a wrong address. So at this point in time, I had no idea what was going on. So eventually, one day, I think I think after like a year or so, the bank eventually realized, actually, we have a number on file. So they call me. And then I'm like, yeah, hi, what's going on? So they're like, this is that and that. And I'm like, oh, what? no, no. So at this point in time, I'm thinking, is this a scam? <laughs> the bank, they're verifying themselves. And I'm thinking, actually, no, this, this, like, this, they verify themselves. So I go online and I check the account and I realize, like, oh my God, somebody had literally cleared this account dry of like two and a half grand. And they're taking that out on my name and they had not paid. So I was in like serious debt. And so were they just, putting, was the bank putting you on the hook for, for it then? Or? Obviously, they they they'd filed, they told like credit agencies that I was owing, I wasn't paying, it had affected my credit score and I oh did not even, all this time I didn't even realize this. So eventually... I told the bank, they do the investigation. They realized, oh, crap, we didn't know. And then they compensated. Um, they, they closed it. They compensated me for it. But at this time, now I'm trying to start a business. So I'm trying to figure out, like, why am I, not, why am I being refused for loans? Like, what's going on? I'm like, I've had impeccable credit for as long as I'm like, what's, what's, right. what's going on? So I go online. I sign up with, like, um, I think one of the biggest um, credit uh, companies like uh, Equifax. And I said, okay, run a credit check. Show me what's going on. They come back. I had one of the, I had like a hundred or something. I was like, what? And I, it. and I saw the whole bank thing. So I called the bank and I was like, listen, you need to send a notification or something to Equifax. Da, da, da. And then they were saying like, unfortunately, it's on your name because it's already been filed. There's nothing they can do that the best they can do is give a note to Equifax and have that note on my on name. Your record on your file, yeah. Thinking that, oh, you know, it might have a, like this maybe like brought the score down, but it wasn't his fault. It was a fraudulent transaction. This, this, that, and that. But unfortunately, even Equifax was like, sadly, that's not going to do you any good because hardly anyone really goes to read that note like once they have like a baseline and once your credit score doesn't reach that baseline you usually just get automatically rejected so that was a massive problem so imagine yeah. coming back to this great idea you're speaking to investors and then all of a sudden you're already telling investors like yeah we can pull these funds you have pulled that funds and then you realize i can't pull this money so that messed up you then try to crowdfund and um, I think that crowd, the crowdfunding just failed terribly. And um, I think eventually we had uh, like somebody who was like a, a, a professional from, from the States mm-hmm. called me and explained like, okay, you know what? This is why your crowdfunding failed. It was like, you don't have a, you don't have like a massive, um, a massive brand. People don't know you. They don't understand you. 
And um, that's why only the people who really um, were your following, where you're like your loyal followers contributed. Other people are just reluctant because they don't really know who you are. Right. And obviously I'd taken like a year or two off social media to focus on training. So I hadn't really been doing much. People didn't really know much about me except like my followers. Right. So that was the problem. So eventually, you know, my partner came into the mix. She got some loans out. We put it under her name. Um, and then we had investors, but then it got tricky because when they eventually went through the business plan, and we lost all our investors. How did you, how did you source, how, where did you find investors? I think some so people investors might be interested. Were um, a lot of investors reached out. Oh, okay. Based on what you had shared online or? Um, yeah, sort of based on that. But most of the, most of the investors wanted to invest in us. So just sort of came from, most of them were previous people who had seen me grow or had seen my oh, okay. work on and like sort of the way Aji reached out when he wanted me to be I see. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of them are guys that reached out before and they wanted me to work with them or come be the head chef of their restaurant or they wanted me to, um, what do you call it? They wanted me to do something with them. So they they all saw this as an opportunity to, oh, he wants to do something. Let's, let's jump on a chance to work with this guy. So that was what they wanted. Um, they reached out. But then what happened was um, as soon as they all read the um, part of the business plan that said, you know, this is the price we're going to be charging for the services that we're going to be offering. You know, we're, we're trying to help, you know, chefs in the industry that are suffering and it was just like a no. Okay, because they thought it was too low and that you wouldn't be able to cover your expenses or? <clears throat> exactly. They thought, um, so they thought it's too low because, okay, at, at the average price for a cookery class, mm-hmm. let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about chef training. Average price for a cookery class is between, in the Midlands, like 115 for like a good cookery school to like 150 pounds. For one class. Okay. Okay. If you go down to London, now you're talking about 175 to sometimes 200. You could get a class for like 120, 130, but you could go as high as 175 to 200 and something for a class. So we are popping up from nowhere now. We're trying to say, we're going to charge everybody 50 pounds for a class. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So straight away, everyone was like, you're mad, you're crazy. Yeah, it's not that doesn't make sense. No. So I then tried to show the plan to the investors. Like, okay, look, if we if we acquire this building, if we do it this way, if we do it that way, and then we eventually we can expand this way, this is how we can make money of 50 pounds a class while still helping people out to get affordable classes and affordable and that was just for the general classes. Then we're talking about chef training. And yeah. we're charging, like, I think the average, like, um, when I when I went for the training, I, my, the mo- I did, like, a month, and I paid, like, four grand for that month. Oh, wow. Then for a month? I'm to say, yeah, for a month. Now, I'm trying to say for the exact same program, for the exact same length of time, and then 
even more. I'm talking about financial advice because we're not just giving people like kitchen training and we're talking about we also train them and we also in business restaurant area in our in our cookery school. We give them that restaurant area and tell them we will plan your supper club, you know, we'll host events for you. And this is how we will train you to get industry experience without you having to go and sacrifice and do like how many months working free for somebody else. So what then happened was um, we were saying we'll offer all of all of that for much significantly cheaper for a thousand. Oh wow! So that's like two and a half grand cheaper. So straight away the investors were like, "Nah!" Like, so after I proved to the investors that it could work, they still felt like, you know what? I've seen it; it could work, but I'm sorry. I'm not here to help people. I want to make money. Yeah. I'm here to make money. Okay, forget about helping people. When we make a lot of money in the four or five years, I guess you could start a small charity and help people. <laughs> you know, but then I was like, no, like that's why I wanted to do this. What's the point? What's the point if we just turn it into a business and I'm charging everybody? Right. Like, what's the point? <laughs> so I send steadfast to it and then we just one by one, investor after investor. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Um, just because we only have a few minutes left, I just wanted to touch on so that people that are listening can go and find out more about um, the cookery school. So, what do you focus on? Is it a general um, cookery curriculum? Are you focused on um, African food in particular, or just a broad um, spectrum of food types, or basic? I guess basic cooking skills like if i was is it exclusive to african chefs or are you for african chefs are you providing a specific like again based on your training and the ways in which you present african food are you trying to teach people who are in the african food space also about the way we present our food and the ingredients in a different way or what what's the program like what what can people expect so we're we're very broad in the sense that um, we teach literally every, it's not, um, so because obviously because of my background and what I do, um, there were initially there was that mindset that, oh, it's, it's an African cookery school. Right. Well, I think more and more people have uh, come to realize that, no, it's not, we're very broad. So we, we try and tackle everything. So if you're, if you want the basics, then we can create a program and we try to do it uh, on a one-on-one basis as much as we do a group basis so we try and tailor things to um to people as well so if as a group you you, you know you guys want to learn the basics you want to train to just understand the basics maybe you want to start a business but you just need the basics to get you there because you don't want to do anything too advanced then we can create a program and we have already have a program created to do that and that's for our chef training side we we train people in terms of the basics we train them um, to like intermediary levels if you're looking to go to a job into a restaurant. And then we can go into like advanced techniques into gastronomy. If you're looking to, you know, build your way into a mission star setting, or if it's that you want to do your own private chef things, but you want to do it at that level. So with, with whatever it is, generally, we always try and cater to everyone. And 
for our cookery classes for the general public we just offer a wide range of classes from whether it's west african whether it's german whether it's british whatever and we one thing we do is we actually advise our customers like hey you know what if you go on our website and you just want to attend a cookery class with, with, with a friend or with a family or just yourself if you don't see a class that you want we usually say you know what we're really chilled just give us a ring and ask us like hey would you be willing um and we get calls all the time like um the last call we just received a lady just was like, oh, can you, can we, can we get like a Chinese pastry class? And my friends and I would like a Chinese pastry class. And then we're like, oh yeah, sure. Like, you know what? We'll find when we're scheduling our next set of classes, we'll put in a Chinese pastry class. And as usual, everybody gets emailed. And so, so we're very, very broad. And oh, when people ask me, what do you do? I just say, you know what? If it's food, we cook it. <laughs> okay. so whatever class you're looking for, as long as, whatever it is you're trying to learn is class that's food we can create a class you can create a class around it cool um so what's next what's what's next for you uh this year or as you look you know the next five years where do you see the cookery school and what you do as a kudo like what what do you see that's coming up for you that people should um we are still heavily focused on um on on the business okay and when i think we're very focused on the business we're focused in terms of we're still standing pretty much by the fact that we we want to help people so one thing we're looking for right now is acquiring uh funds for the business and when i say so funds funds like income. oh funds okay okay got it when i say we're acquiring funds i mean we are we've so we've put forward to tender to um to the government and to um an impact program designed by the eu and what that means is they would we're looking to get to like to help people even further so if we get that funding what that means now is rather than us saying oh hey come and you know we can give you proper training just as much as you can get even better than you can get from a cookery school and just what you need to get into the restaurant in the hospitality industry for way less for way less than um, this guy will charge you or that um, organization will charge you. We want to take it to the point where hey, we've got a training program that you can get on and it's fully funded by the government. So it's free for you. That's nice. where we're trying to get yeah. to. That's why we're going for the funding because we want people to just be able to walk in and say, hey, you know what? I've had this dream. I want to be a chef, but it's been really hard to get on this ladder. And we want to be that organization that can say, hey, no problem. You know, we're fully funded. So just come in, get your training, go on, do your great things. So for us, we're we're, we're very driven. So that's our next step Mm. to secure that. Um, And after that, if we're looking at a long uh, five, ten year ago, working to sort of establish somewhere else with the same motto, with the same program, same everything. And um, for us, it's almost like a charity. I mean, we're not a charity, but that 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 that's the dream, you know. And, to be um, able to provide affordable training. Uh, provide for... Affordable or free training. I mean, that would be the ideal one to, for us to just be fully funded so that we can just go to each city and just set up there and just provide free training for any chef that wants it and um and i think the the great thing about our vision and our journey is the fact that we've had so many uh, 
roadblocks. And we've had so many times where where we are today seemed completely impossible. But then you always get that organization or that person that just hears about what you're doing and just says, you know what, my brother, my uncle, my dad was a chef. I saw the struggle firsthand. How can I help? And then yeah. you get people who sort of like jump on what I know. So for us, the, the, the goal would be to be able to get funded, deliver this on a much wider scale. And um, I think that's what we're focused on. At the moment, we're not sort of thinking like about ourselves. We're not thinking yeah. about getting this big business like getting I feel like a social a social enterprise really trying to make a, make an impact yeah. the only reason why we're, I, I don't class we didn't set up as a charity or uh, as a CIC it was just because I'm like you know when we do make profit we know what we want to do with that profit um, um, we want to we want to use it to either create for instance like I want to um, I want to help the my, like my, my, my community the Afro community and a lot of things I've been saying is that people don't support African chefs or uh, black chefs of African descent. They don't support us in uh, an, a non-African way. Um, and that's why I try and tell people, like, please don't don't call me an African chef. or African. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a chef. Just call me a chef. Don't, yeah. don't attract. Because what I've noticed is in the industry we don't get called upon and we don't get given opportunities except it's within an African setting. Oh, like context, an African, yeah. Like an African festival, then they start looking for us. Yeah. Oh my God, there's this program where we're looking for people to do this nice, um, nice um, video or shoot about West African food or about ethnic things. Then they look for us. You get what I mean? Yeah, well, but you want to get to the point where you are main, you may considered mainstream too, right? Yeah, because like exactly consider us mainstream. So that that's another thing I'm trying. So well, that's why I didn't set up as uh, a charity because I'm like, hey, when I make money, I want to put events to sort of help us to bring us together. I'm trying to set up an. I I tried for years for like three years now to set up an organization where all like Af- 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 chefs of African descent, we can come on that day and we can create an organization that takes us to the places we want to be. The only bad thing about it, to be honest, is most of the chefs I've spoken to, everybody wants to do their own thing. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate because I think I actually, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about that last week that there isn't truly an organization, even not just of chefs, but like all the people that contribute to the ecosystem, right, of African food as it's becoming more popular. How are we going to come together to work together to make sure that we are being seen in, in the right light and in the right spaces that eventually benefits everybody? That's so, our problem. Right? Yeah. We're just not doing things in that way. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. Like, you know, people just keep if I, some a lot of times to the point where if I hear somebody saying something about a chef, I'm like, oh, describe the chef to me. What what do you think the chef does? <laughs> and they're like, oh, I guess they're you know like an African West African. And I'm like, oh, but every event, it's like you might have heard about um, Mab. She does like Marby's Kitchen. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Um, okay, so she's she's based in London. And she does um she does like events and supper club. Mob in no way. I mean, yes, she's 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 Nigerian and stuff, 
Mob doesn't give off the African vibe. Mm. Like she just does a very um, diverse and very versatile, like lovely approach. Which she she's more in the sense of, you know, doing food and using food events and whatnot to share her story. Right. Sort of like uplift women. But when I hear somebody telling me that she's an Afro chef, I'm like, in what way? She she hasn't <sighs> done anything about you know being an Afro chef right. or Afro. None of our, none of Mob's events says Afro this or Nigerian. That's interesting. This. I need to look her up to see to see what her. Well, I mean, but I'm like, why why do you describe her? So what that means, and I, and when I meet people saying that, I say, please don't say that because what happens is when somebody tells you like, hey, we're looking for a female chef and we want to bring on top of this project and we want her to be able. The problem now, I say to that person, the problem is that you don't think about Mob because you're thinking, oh yeah, she does oh, Afro yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, um that's interesting i i we're running out of time but i i i feel like there's two there's two ways to look at it too right i think there's there's that way which i actually hadn't thought about but then like how do you get the word out about like our own cuisine too like it's it's my i i understand like not being one to be boxed into and i know people that are, i know chefs that have the similar um similar mindset that they don't want to be called um, African chefs per se because then that sort of boxes you and like you said then people just call you for specific things versus looking at the skill set that you have as a chef like overall um I don't know it's a it's a tricky yeah no actually so the answer to that is the fact that the the inevitable will always happen is wherever we go we just sort of, we take our, we just take our food with us. So it's like, it's like um, Deji, Chef Diaries. Yeah, when Deji yeah. quite tasty to, to come and put on, you know, a cooking show for them. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't really see Deji as an Afro chef. They just saw him as a chef and they were like, oh, hey, we came across your stuff and we thought this was really nice. Do you want to do a section for us where you cook this, this, that, and that? So they recognized Deji as just a chef, not an African chef. What did Deji do? They did suya lamb chops. Yeah. They did jello couscous. So what I mean is, whatever setting you put us in, we eventually just take our cuisine there and we shine with it in that setting. You get what I mean? But yeah. it doesn't do us any good to keep doing those things in an Afro setting. Yeah. Then we never do them out. But look at look at um, look at Ikoyi for instance. Now you know Ikoyi is being owned. It's it's part owned by a, a, a few Nigerians or whatnot. But Jeremy Chan. Love him, he's an absolutely great chef, but he's sort of now like the face of African food. <laughs> yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah. He's sort of the face of African food. Meanwhile, I can, I can definitely say, I, I, I can almost confidently say that my mom knows more about African spices than Jeremy does, but Jeremy's yeah. the face of like yeah. African yeah. spices. That, yeah, equally, it's, it's, a, it's a different animal. But, Honestly, there, but, there's, there's more to why Jeremy is there because he's a skilled chef, he knows his things and whatnot. Yeah. But what I mean, if you don't give us a chance to be right. in that setting, go to that place, we will never get there. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that I think that's a good note for us. We've talked, oh my goodness, uh, for two hours plus now. Um, but before we go wrap up, can you let people know where they can find KDU, like location in the U? Because we've said UK broadly. Where in the UK and then where they can also find you online, website, social media, etc. Um, oh yeah, that's a good one because for some reason everybody assumes I'm in London. Yeah, I was gonna say so. 
Yeah, you get a lot of requests for people who are coming from different countries into London and they're like, oh, I'm like, oh, we're not in London. Um, we are based in um, Warsaw, West Midlands. Um, we're in Warsaw, West Midlands because this is where my family is. This is where I live. And um, I didn't want to take the business idea one to a big city like London or Birmingham because one, it would have been it's too expensive, and then we would not have been able to deliver on the mission. We had to start somewhere small. Yeah. And two, apart from it being my hometown, my 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 home city, it's also um where I realized like we also have a lot of people here that don't have that opportunity. And they all have to run down to London and face the same stuff I had to face. So we wanted to bring it here. So we're based in Warsaw, West Midlands. Look us on Google. Just type Keduku School on Google. Yeah. I, will, I will share all the links so that people can find you. And the one thing before we go, last thing I promise, is we did not tell people what Kedu means. I just realized oh, that's the thing. Yeah, Kedu is... Um, so Kedu is from the Igbo tribe. Uh, let me say this real quickly. So Kedu is from the Igbo tribe in Nigeria. And Kedu means um, like, hello, or how are you, or how are you doing? And the reason why we chose to call the business Kedu was simply just because we felt like uh, when I was coming up with a business idea, and I remember the chef saying to me, like, man, it's, it's really hard if you're not willing to sort of put your life down and sacrifice your life like this nobody none of these restaurants or shelves would even tell you hello or hi so that was why i was like interesting i came up with that name like kdu so 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 for us it's sort of a way to sort of say like you know what if these guys won't train you and help you in this way then why don't we we're saying hello we're saying hi <laughs> we give you an affordable training that 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 doesn't put you in debt uh, doesn't break you and whatnot and hopefully like i said hopefully we can eventually say we'll do it for free come on we're fully funded so that was why we came up with the name kedu and oh. that's what it means like nice. hello nice well thank you so much this was very insightful great to hear your personal story and then how because i always thought you would you would open a restaurant so this was also eye-opening for me in terms of how you ended up deciding on the school and i think it's going to be important i um hope People look you up, follow you, get to cooking classes if you're based in the UK. And we'll look forward to following your story. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Thank you.